Hello and welcome back to the Run the Day podcast. I'm your host, Nick Simmons. With me as always is Cam. Hey, you guys. I'm feeling happy. I'm happy now too after that incredible conversation. Our guest today, Gretchen Rubin, is a happiness expert. She has Mm -hmm. half a dozen books out, New York Times bestsellers, a podcast she she really made me feel happy, actually. I, yeah. just, just 20 minutes of talking this, with this woman, I feel like she really has a handle on what makes people tick and makes them happy. What'd you think? Unreal. Just the world we live in now, it can be so noisy. We can get so distracted, but she's found those specific things that we can do in our day-to-day life yeah. to silence that noise, to stay focused and to ultimately achieve happiness. And it's not just like, philosophical, like meanderings here. Exactly. She has concrete advice. This Tangible. is- Step A, step B, step C. These are things that you can do yep. to be happier, to deal with your anxiety, to deal with social media's overwhelming you know, grip on our lives. Yeah. She's thought this out. Like he really has a yeah, handle on brilliant. this. And I think probably my favorite part of the conversation is when she talks about the four different types of personalities. And mm-hmm. she's not saying that any of these things are a one size fits all, but really identifying who you are and what can lead you to happiness. Yeah. And she acknowledges that what works for her might not work for somebody else. Exactly. Which can be so hard for us because we look at our friends or family and we think, oh, that works for them. But why does it work for me? Is something wrong with me? Yeah. But we're all so different. We're all so unique. And I think that realizing who we are, finding our purpose and achieving happiness is so important. So important. And she obviously has identified that. Yeah. Let's jump right in. Without further ado, here she is, Gretchen Rubin. All right. Here she is coming to us from NYC. It's Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen, how are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Likewise. You know, I'm so excited for this one. Happiness is such an important conversation to have because I think sometimes yeah. we we say we want to be happy, but we don't know exactly what that means. And uh-huh. Cam knows this firsthand that that professional athletes and runners specifically really struggle with happiness sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'm super excited to dig in on some of these subjects. But I, I just want to ask you, we usually start with just saying, hey, how's New York today? Yeah. It was extremely rainy this morning with lots of exciting thunder and lightning, but now it's turned into a beautiful day. So it's Good lovely. to hear it. Do you get into Central Park much? I love riding oh. through Central Park. Oh, I go to Central Park every day. I love Central Park. Incredible. Central Park. The foresight that the city planners had to create that just Mecca. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. How long have you lived in New York for? About 20 years now. Hard to, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, so sometimes it's kind of hard for me to realize that I actually live in New York City, but yep. I saw, I saw that. It's a big transplant from Kansas City to NYC. What was the path that took you there? Um, well, I went to college and law school in New Haven at Yale, and then I was, you know, I had clerkships and married somebody. My husband lives like, right. we live right around the corner from his parents and where he grew up. But I mean, right around the corner, like you don't even cross the street. Wow. So he has not, he has not moved far, but um, I think I was always headed to New York in some way. Yeah. It's, it's just such as a city where anything can happen and yeah. there's so much going on. It's just, I use the word controlled chaos because you walk down the street and it seems like everybody understands like just how things work there. But to an outsider like me, it's just overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. I remember when I was first here, I guess I lived here for a summer during college and it was like before I got a summer job and every, you felt like everybody knew exactly where they were going and they were all racing the same way. Yeah. And I, 
felt like, okay, I'm going to get trampled on because I don't know, like, I just am kind of wandering around, like, gazing. So it can be a little bit intimidating, but it's also a very easy city in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I love living here. I also hate to drive. Oh, yeah. Um, LA is not for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yes. My sister also hates to drive and she lives in LA. She's the co-host of the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast with me. Yeah. And she really doesn't like to drive. And that was, she lived in in Los Angeles for like three or four years before she learned to drive. Well, she learned, she knew how to drive. We both knew how to drive, but before she sort of like embraced it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. LA is a cruel city if you have to drive too much. As Cam and I know well, well, I want to jump right in. We have a couple topics that we really want to dig in with you. Sometimes sometimes our podcast is a little bit more casual, but there's just so three topics that I really want to dig in with you. I think that the first topic I really want to dive into, this world of ours is just so noisy. It's become really noisy. I'm not just talking about the streets of New York. I'm talking just the messages that we're bombarded with on Instagram and Twitter, all of the social media platforms, you know, in a world that's this noisy and overwhelming, how can we filter out some of the noise, distill the stuff that's important and find some some calmness and happiness through all that? Well, one thing I think to remember is that technology is a great servant, but a bad master. I love that. And yeah. we, we have to remember that we're in control of our experience. And there's a lot of things that we can do to make sure that we get the best of what all these tools offer us, but then kind of minimize if we feel distracted, if we feel like it's taking time away from higher value activities like Somebody said, I realized I was spending so much time on Instagram, I wasn't getting any reading done, or like you stay up too late because you're enraptured by something. So one thing is I would to think about is turning off notifications so that you don't have this constant like tearing away of your attention, even for like a microsecond. You know, I don't have any notifications and my phone doesn't ring. And people will say to me, but what if there's an emergency? And it's like, but there never is an emergency, (laughs) you know? So So for me, like my phone never makes any noise and there's kind of a jumpiness that people get. It's called ringsiety, which is when you think you've heard your phone, even when you haven't, or you hear somebody else's Mm -hmm. phone, but you think it's your phone. So it kind of makes you jumpy and distracted. Another thing to do is there are certain things that you find yourself looking at all the time, but you don't want to cut yourself off. The easiest thing is just to delete it altogether. If you don't want to delete it altogether, maybe delete it on your phone, but not on your desktop. So that's why you're like, okay, I'll mindfully look at something for a little while, but I'm not going to have it in my back pocket all day long. So I can still use it, but it's not constantly distracting me. Or if you want to take a break from something, but you don't want to delete your account, you can have a friend or a family member change your password. So you're locked out of it. But then when you decide like, you know what, I've had my break. And I feel like I've kind of recalibrated. Now I want to go back in. They can tell you what your password is, but you can't get in there until you sort of mindlessly decide to. Now, something that I think is wonderful, I love this, is if you really feel like you just cannot break yourself away from your phone, you can very easily turn your phone to grayscale, which means that it's black, white, and gray instead of being in color. And I'm obsessed with color, like the role that color plays. And the phone is designed to be just a color cornucopia and to be incredibly visually engaging. If it's in black, white, and gray, it's like watching your grandparents' black and white TV set. <laughs> it changes you know, everything, like the five, yeah. <laughs> a five-inch screen, it feels so much more utilitarian. It's harder to use. It's less interesting. This can also work if you have a little kid who's always trying to use a device, because mm. if you're like, oh, you know, it's, it's not in color anymore. It's just not, it's not as much fun to play a game. It's not as much fun to look at Instagram. Well, and app developers like, know that. They make, it, they make it that way. Oh, it's all designed like that. So, yeah. But the thing is, you can take control of it. 
Or like, and uh, I wrote a book called Better Than Before, which is all about habit change, how to make and break habits. And what what is really hilarious is like the slightest bit of extra convenience or inconvenience really shapes what we do. Like even things like there's research showing that if at a salad bar there are tongs instead of spoons, people take less food because it's just like that much more hard to get like food with a tong than with food with a spoon. So we're very sensitive. So if there's something that you feel like you're going to too quickly, like bury it in your phone, put it in, you know, like we all have the home screen that opens up right away, put it in a later screen and maybe put it in a folder. So you have to go like swipe, swipe, Mm -hmm. swipe, open folder, open it. Because a lot of times just that little bit of delay reminds you, do I really want to be doing this? Because maybe I don't. Or somebody was saying that they moved their e-reader app to where they had their Facebook app. And so when their finger automatically went to it, a, their book opened up. Yeah. And so then they were like, oh, this is reminding me, I want to spend this time while I'm stuck in the drugstore line getting a quick read of my book rather than going on social media. So a lot of it is is rather than feeling like we're the passive, who can do anything with about this cacophony, is to say, well, I am the director of this. And if there are things about it that I don't like, certain things are hard to turn off, but some things are quite easy to turn off. And then some people like want to physically put their phone away. And like, don't, if you're trying to stay away from your phone, don't just like put it on the kitchen counter because you're going to reach for that thing. Put it like on a high shelf behind a closed closet door so that if, you know, if you start getting shaky and sweaty because you have to check your phone, you can go get it. But it's not just right there. If it's right there in your back pocket, if it's right there on the counter, if it's right. I remember talking to guys like, oh, I know it's so dangerous, but I'm constantly checking my phone while I'm driving. And I was like, well, where do you keep it? And he's like, well, you know, it's just on the seat next to me. I'm like, put it in the trunk, man. Yeah. And then it's like, you don't have, because he's like, how do I learn to have more self-control? I'm like, put it in the trunk of your car mm-hmm. or like put it in a briefcase on the floor of the back seat, and you won't have to use your self-control because you just can't get to it. You know, so that's another thing. It's just, that's just deleting the app or putting your, leaving your phone in the car for a couple of hours when you get home from work or, you know, whatever it is. But to really just, the bottom line is to remember that, that you are in control. We are in control and we can shape our environments to a very great degree. Yeah. And, you know, I I think it, almost brings up more of a philosophical question. What are we trying to control ourselves from? Is this a net positive or is this a net negative? You know, even a little bit of heroin is probably too much heroin. When we look at social media, it is a, it is a great tool in some aspects, but when you, out, when you weigh both the positives and the negatives, even under control, does it come out as a net positive on the happiness meter in your opinion? Well, that's interesting. There's a huge amount of uh, academic research on this. And I think that every medicine can become poison. And for some people, probably it's a net negative, especially for people who are like struggle with things like social comparison. It can be really difficult. But I mean, I think overall, to me, it seems like a huge net positive. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely makes it easier to maintain relationships. And as much as people say like, I don't want to be connected to those people that I didn't (laughs) like in high school. You sound like me. (laughs) Everybody everybody does. I mean, like everybody does. Like, oh, you know, I randomly know about this person. So and it makes it easier to like form like little relationships. I think it makes people more inclined to want to connect in real life. Like I think that like the conferences, people just desperately want to go to conferences now. It's Mm -hmm. like, I think it's because you're in connection with all these people virtually and you're like, I want to get face. I want to see you face to face because I feel like I already kind of know you. And so these things feel more enticing. The research, the information, of course, it can be terribly distracting, but it's also just this cornucopia of just, you know, music and art and perfectly curated for us. uh, Well, yeah. And like, I think of, um, you know, like I have a, I do tons of writing and I think, well, I can so easily check a quotation. Like it would have taken in the old days when I remember writing, like I'd like go get a book and open it up to the page and look at it. Well, that was very time consuming. Whereas now I can just go to Google books and like, 
open up the page and like, so it, it just like means that I'm spending so much time on things that are more high value and not wasting my time on things that are just basically grunt work. Yeah. But that required a lot of times. But that's not to say that like for any one individual, I think we always have to say, given me, like knowing me and what like my issues and what makes me happy and not happy, how is it working for me? And right. given how it's affecting me, I think because if you say, well, overall, well, that's sort of interesting generally. But I think for most of us, we're much more focused on, you know, what about me? Like for me, it's just definitely net positive. And I, you know, I have to say, I don't suffer so much this feeling of cacophony and being overwhelmed. So I don't think it's inevitable. I think it's kind of my nature and just sort of the way, like, I don't like games. I don't like any kind of games, and which is kind of a killjoy thing. But it also means I don't spend time, like, worrying about not playing games on my phone because I don't like playing games anywhere. But now there's probably parts of my life where I would enjoy life much more if I enjoyed games. But this is one place where it kind of comes in handy. So, again, it's sort of like how does it trip the buttons in your in your particular personality. It's like very different among different people. I agree. And I think that each platform resonates with a different brain. You know, I know some people only like Instagram or only like Twitter, you know, and so I'm wondering if are there studies that have been done that what personalities are drawn towards a certain platform or how those platforms specifically, you know, engage their audience like twitter's very cerebral right mm-hmm. it's become so politicized and it's really about getting news now instagram's so much so brand heavy is, is there a happiness quotient for platforms facebook makes me angry i actually haven't used facebook in 10 years uh. for that exact reason but obviously i'm on every other platform yeah you know what, well, what i think it's it would be difficult to say because these are change as you're constantly as, changing as you, yeah. as you just say that they're evolving so rapidly i think it would be very hard to do any kind of research because by the time you'd run your study, kind of everything would have moved on. I don't, and, and, and like user behaviors, it's self-changing yeah. as in reaction. So I don't, I'm not aware of any, of any research like that. And they I update these every two weeks. Yeah. I mean, you can't keep well, up and, with them and hardly. The, and the way people use them really changes. Yeah. People will go to, you know, a different thing. And, and then we all are so, I mean, that would be part of what you're saying is like, who's drawn to what? Like what kind of people are drawn to what kind of platform? But then we all create our own environment too. I mean, it's interesting. We all really do create our own environment in a way that we don't understand. There's something called homophily, which is that people are drawn to people who are like them. So this affects your social and work life in ways that's very hard to understand. And I remember reading, because I am interested in happiness and habit change, I read a lot about of books and memoirs about people facing addiction because that's obviously I I never write about addiction myself because it's like too specific and I don't feel qualified for that. But I'm very fascinated by how people talk about it. There's a lot of lessons, I think, for people who are not struggling with a specific addiction, but maybe issues adjacent to addiction. And so somebody was saying, well, you know, but here's the thing is like everybody's constantly telling you to drink. Everybody's reminding you to drink. I go on Facebook and it's like, oh, it's five o'clock. It's martini time. And oh, it's. You know, it's mommy vodka this and everybody's, got, and everybody's talking about the weekend and what they're going to drink and how they're going to binge and how they're going to party and everything. And I'm like, my friends don't say that. My friend <laughs> doesn't say that. Everybody? Yeah. No, because but I'm like, you're in an environment and you don't even realize the degree to which your environment is mm-hmm. shaped by the kind of person that you are. Even if you're sort of not even trying to be that kind of person anymore, you're trying to leave it behind. And so part of the thing about these social platforms is it's easy to think like, well, everybody's having kind of the same experience when in fact they really aren't having the same kind of experience, you know, and they really are being like their, the algorithm and their friends and everything is there, what they've been searching for. I mean, we all are constantly creating these environments. So it's, it's, I think we don't always know what other people are up to or like what experience they're having because our own experience might be quite different on a platform. Mm. It kind of goes back to that 
that I, I'm, I'm going to call it a cliche. It's only been around for a few years, but it's used so much that we're more connected than ever, but we feel more alone than ever, you know? And well, it, see, I don't really buy that. Yeah, I, I wanted to hear your opinion that I, on I, that. You know, I mean, there's all this study of loneliness and loneliness is on the rise, but then there are things like a lot more people are living alone. And so that also contributes to feeling of loneliness. Mm -hmm. Certain kinds of things are less, but certain kinds of things are more. So I'm always kind of surprised when people say like some major aspect of human nature has changed within the last five years. I'm always like, huh, I wonder if that's true. I mean, I think it can be different for some people. There's but, one, um, one, one issue I'll uh, raise, though, on that. Our in-the-momentness has changed, I feel like, that maybe not happiness, so, maybe not loneliness, but our in-the-moment certainly has changed because we are looking at something other than what's physically in front of our face. That's, mm -hmm, is that, is that mm -hmm. something you've noticed at all? Just people yeah, being no, present. Yeah, no, I've thought about that. Yeah. I've thought about that. But then probably people said the same thing when TV came in and it's kind true. of rocked everybody's yeah. world. And the thing is, you know, people are like, oh, I'm on the subway and everybody's looking at their phone. And I'm we like, have pictures you know, of people doing they, that with a newspaper, right? Like, no, it's how people are. Is, but, but what are they doing on their phone? They're like, or like people, I have two teenage girls and people are always like, teenage girls, they just sit and look at their phones and everything. But I'm like, <laughs> if you look at how they're using their phones, yeah. they're using them in a social way. They're showing each other things. They're exchanging things part of it is like yes things have changed but you have also changed mm -hmm. you know I have also changed like when I was 20 I was dip like people are like I used to be able to sit down and read Jane Austen now I can't do that I'm like yeah when you were 20 you were in college and you didn't yeah, have anything else and to do <laughs> and now you've got a full-time job three kids and like you're checking your work emails all the time I'm like True. maybe that's what's interfering with Jane Austen so is it mm. so and anyway I think I think these are all things that are extremely important and useful to think about and to reflect on and to say like what is happening here? And given what's happening here, how can I adjust? If I want to go back to reading Jane Austen, what might I change in my yeah. life? But I, I think that sometimes people are too sweeping to be, I mean, there's, I have this hilarious quote from Laura Ingalls Wilder, because I'm a huge children's literature fan. And she has this thing like, everybody's in a rush today, people walking down the street, they almost look frantic, because like, no one has time to just like stand and talk. And like, mm -hmm. we don't have time to think and what's going on. And she wrote this in the 1930s, when she lived in a small rural farming yeah. community. Wow. In it's all relative, Missouri. isn't it? But I mean, it's just like, or maybe this is just the common experience of mankind. Yeah. Maybe everybody who's a grown up feels like, oh my gosh, like I have no Where's time, the time to do go? anything anymore. Exactly. Right. And so, but that said, oh boy, you can spend a lot of time on Netflix. You can spend a lot of time on Instagram and maybe you'd rather spend that time differently. And so all of us should step back and say like, take control of our own time. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Take control. Of it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think on the one, I think it's always worth thinking about, but I, I do wonder sometimes I think people are like too quick to think pinpoint one factor. It's an easy scapegoat though, isn't it? Oh, this thing crept up into my life and yeah. now it's the cause of all my issues. You know, my anxiety, my loneliness, my frustrations. This is just a low hanging fruit for me to pick and, and throw against the wall. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. I think that is exactly right. Incredible. I mean, you've thought about this a lot and I, I really respect that you've devoted your life to uh, identifying some of these issues, you know, the psychology behind it and, and choosing happiness, finding happiness. You know, I think I want to ask you about that. People say happiness is a choice and you have those moments, you know, those epiphany moments where you're like, I am choosing to be happy in this, in this moment. My mom, a senior English teacher at the high school I went to, she, she used Milton's uh, quote, the mind is its own place and it can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. Mm. And it's so true. How do you help encourage people to recognize 
especially here in America, that we are so fortunate in every single way. It's sometimes hard to see the forest through the trees, though, and to recognize just how lucky we are and to actively pursue happiness by, by having that gratitude, that appreciation. Well, I think that for a lot of people, it's just it's just even stopping to think about it. I mean, it's certainly before I wrote The Happiness Project, that was how I would have said my situation. Because I was a pretty happy person. I had all the elements of a happy life, but I just, I didn't think about it. I didn't step back and say, am I happy? How can I be happier? And, you know, it's just easy to get distracted and, and did not think about it, not to have these moments of gratitude, not to have the moments of appreciation. And so I think for a lot of us, it's just sort of bringing it into the forefront of our minds and saying, wow, you know, I actually, things are pretty good. It's interesting that it's an almost, I think it's a, a kind of a universal superstition, which is that if you say I am happy or things are good, that somehow now evil forces are going to pit themselves against you. And mm -hmm. I think so for some people, there's almost a feeling if you're like, this is bad, this is unlucky, like that they will sort of like ward off possible danger or risks or that it's unlucky to say, oh, I am happy. But I think that it is, it does sort of, you have to think of like, how you are going to remind yourself of happiness and how to be happier. I think it's trying to be mindful of it. It's interesting that you say about happiness as a choice. One of the things that has been very interesting to me and increasingly interesting over time is the metaphors that people use and the kind of the frameworks that they use and how some resonate with some people and some don't. So mm -hmm. for instance, I wrote a book, The Happiness Project, and many people said to me, oh, that's not good. You shouldn't call it that. Because like <laughs> the idea of a project, that's not fun. That, that sounds like homework. That's not fun. I said, I was like, that's funny because to me, Happiness Project, like that sounds so fun. That's like so great. That's what I want. But then people talk about happiness as a journey. Well, the journey does not resonate with me. I never use the metaphor of the journey. It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not helpful to me. Other people, it's enormously helpful. Happiness is a choice. I don't really understand what people mean by that. I understand like I can choose my concrete manageable actions. I can choose to go to bed on time. I can choose to turn my phone to grayscale. I can choose to go to the library. I can choose to quit sugar. I can make those choices, but to choose to be happy, that doesn't resonate with me. And yet, so, like you say, it's a cliche because for so many people, it's a very, very powerful idea. And so many people have said this to me with such earnestness. It clearly like is like the it resonates with some people. Yeah. yeah, some people it's just so powerful. But I think sometimes it's like you're like, well, everybody's talking about happiness as a choice, but like something's wrong with me. That doesn't mean anything to me. I'm like, no, you know, that's just not. It's not that doesn't strike a chord with you. But so you can find your own metaphor in your own way in because I think you know there's that whole that saying. Um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I think for different people, the teacher appears in different ways in different times and in different guises. And sometimes you're like, oh, everybody loves X, Y, Z, but I don't. So like, what's my problem? It's like, well, that's just not the right teacher for you. So, you know, look for your own teacher. And if you're looking for that teacher, that teacher will probably appear. Well, I can tell why project, uh, resonates so loudly in your brain. This is something that you can dissect and you can work towards. Mm -hmm. So clearly project isn't something that intimidates you. It's something you get excited about. And, and so I, well, I yeah. definitely well, it's, get it's that it's from funny. you. It's funny too, because I, one of my later books is a book called The Four Tendencies, which divides people into these four tendencies, Upholder, Questioner, Obliger, and Rebel. And one of the things that became clear to me is I like did it, like I kind of identified this framework in the world and then figured out where I fit into it. Mm. And I was like, well, now this makes perfect sense. As you say, like everything about me screams, I'm the kind of person who would like to systematically work through kind of a to-do list. That's the kind of person I am. So that's why the, that approach worked for me. Where someone like a rebel would want to be much more like, who am I? How do I put my values into the world? How do I show people who I am? How do I live up to my identity? That would be very appealing to a different kind of person. A rebel 
So again, it's not that one way is right and one way is wrong, but the different approaches resonate with different people. I love it. Yeah. Gretchen, you are uh, an expert in this. We're going to link all of your books. You've mentioned a couple of them, but we're going to make sure we link all these books in the, desc- in the description below because I think people can really learn a lot from them. I also want them to find you on uh, your social platforms at Gretchen Rubin um, and the podcast. Tell me a little bit more about that. You mentioned you do that with uh, your sister. She's the co-host, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Yes. My sister's like uh, a fabulous TV writer and showrunner in Los Angeles and Hollywood. And yeah, we have a weekly podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which is all about, you know, like sort of concrete, manageable ideas about how to be happier, healthier, Mm. more productive and more creative. And so and we're sisters. So we don't let each other get away with my people. I'm her happiness bully because I I can get a little insistent. If I think there's a a way for you to be happier, I I can come on pretty strong. It's true. Well, I know our listeners could use a little bit of that. Runners are notoriously malcontents. And uh, and, and I I say that having been one of them for 20 years. So I'm first thing Mm -hmm. I'm going to do is go read some of these books and then I'll be sure to check out Happier with Gretchen Rubin. But Gretchen, thank you so much for your time. Really enlightening stuff. And I encourage everybody to go check out all the incredible content that Gretchen's putting out. Well, thank you so much. I so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. A big thank you to everyone for joining us on that episode. If you want to find out more or listen to other episodes, go to rungum.com slash podcast. Also, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes or your preferred player. I'm Nick Simmons, and you've been listening to the Run the Day podcast. Until next time.